Well, friends, as we continue through this worship service, we're about to go to God's Word. And a reminder that we're in a sermon series after Easter, taking a look at different interactions, different encounters that Jesus had with his disciples. In fact, he, over the course of 40 days, appeared to over 500 people. And we have in great detail different encounters, different accounts of Jesus after his death, after his burial, after his resurrection, appearing to individuals, to groups, and remarkably, each of those encounters is different because it reminds us that like a diamond looking at different sides, that Jesus is so multifaceted, so grand, so majestic that one view doesn't contain enough eyesight to take in the fullness of our risen Lord. And a great reminder that how Jesus encounters not only them, but encounters us today because Jesus is alive is going to look differently, though there will be remarkable uh, core similarities. You see, Jesus appears to us in ways that, that meet us right where we are. And as we've gone through this sermon series, we've seen how Jesus appears to Mary differently than how Jesus appears to Peter, different than how Jesus appears to Thomas different than how Jesus appears to what we'll get to, all the disciples in the upper room. And when we get this full picture of all the different viewpoints of how people encountered Jesus, it enlarges our view of Jesus. It enlarges our view of these disciples. And hopefully it enlarges our view of ourselves from God's point of view and enlarges our view of our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we have an encounter with the risen Lord, not a counterfeit version, but the actual Jesus who has defeated death, who rose from the grave, who scripture says right now is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, who scripture says is the head of the church. When we have an encounter with the risen Lord, one of the things we begin to realize is that in Jesus, it's all here. You see, in Jesus alone, do we find the fullness of love, the fullness of peace, the fullness of joy, uh, the fullness of security and purpose and provision, the, the, the fullness of justice. And there is no one, no thing else in the cosmos that can say, it's all here. You know, that phrase is used often uh, in our society. Uh, you know, when you go to an all-inclusive resort, for example, it's claimed that it's all here. And if you just pay in advance, it's all here. The problem is what happens if you go to Jamaica, you're having fun, you're eating the food, you're drinking the drinks, you're enjoying poolside, beachside. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know, I want to go skiing. Not skiing behind a boat, but skiing on a mountain down snow. It's all inclusive, but only including the things that are here. It's not all here. You know, Purell, um, we live in the Purell generation, and after the pandemic, uh, of course, uh, sales of Purell skyrocketed. But if you've ever read the fine print, you've seen. It's effective. It gets 99.9% .9 of all bacteria. It's not all there. That 0.1% causes some people to be terrified. Jesus alone is the fullness of of all that we've longed for in life, all the love that we've been looking for, that perhaps we've pursued in other ways, all the significance we've ever tried to get through our career, through uh, making something out of ourselves, 
uh, all the fullness of what it means to be loved as you are, embraced as you are, all the peace and the security, all the things that we've gone for are just a fraction, just a partial, uh, just a, a shadow of the fullness of which Jesus provides. And so my hope is that not only as we go through this, that we have an expanded view of Jesus, of the disciples, of ourselves and each other, but we begin to realize that Jesus is with us. And that when we find in our lives, let's say conflict between us and a, a loved one, as we're trying to find resources to, to mend that relationship, that we would begin to realize that Jesus is not only here, but it's all here in Jesus. All the tools, all the strength, all the wisdom, all the patience, all the sacrificial love is found in Jesus who wants to give it to us, to fill us with it. And the remarkable nature of who Jesus is, is that he empowers us and he provides for us in a multitude of ways. Through one another, through what we have in our lives, through the gifts of, of, of medicine and provision, as it says in the book of James, that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father of lights. It doesn't change like shifting shadows. So as we go to Luke chapter 24, verse 36, we get a scene of Jesus' encounter with the disciples, and it changes their view of the present, their view of the past, and their view of the future. And I believe that they begin to encounter in Jesus someone whom it's all here. All that we've ever needed and longed for, it's all here in Jesus. Let me read beginning in verse 36 of Luke 24. While they were talking about this, we'll get to this in a moment, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands, look at my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name, to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending you and upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's word as we say every week, thanks be to God. Okay, this scene we also get a picture of in uh, the gospel according to John. As it said in verse 36, while they were talking about this, the this that they were talking about is uh, the events that have just transpired 
in Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. In fact, Jesus appears to two disciples who were leaving Jerusalem on their way to Emmaus. I'm going to get into this sermon uh, next week. And based on their encounter, they rush back to Jerusalem. They come running back to where they started, and they are sharing all that they had just experienced. So you have people who are having a second-hand encounter of the risen Lord. Those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they've had the first-hand encounter. They've met the risen Lord. Now they come back and they share. Now, I want to say this before we dive into this passage. It is very tempting for us to always settle for a second-hand experience of Jesus. And what I mean by that is we might uh, rely upon an author or a leader or a pastor uh, or somebody whom we look up to in our spiritual life or maybe even to look at Scripture and base our entire faith, base our entire relationship on the stories about other people's encounter with Jesus. There's great danger in this because Jesus longs to have a relationship personally with us. If we rely on somebody else's experience, we miss out on how God will meet us, how Jesus will meet us personally. Again, through this whole series, the way that Jesus appears to Mary and to Thomas and to Peter and to others is personalized to them. There are massive similarities. There are foundational truths. There are non-negotiable, you know, I'm going to hold these things with a close hand reality of who Jesus is. And yet how Jesus shows up in each of these people's lives is so deeply personal. And it's a reminder for me that God wants to have a personal relationship with each of us. And though it is tempting to look at this removed and say, well, that's great for them. And I guess I'll learn principles for my life. I'll learn how to live differently. I'll learn how to maybe have more faith. The deeper invitation that Jesus has for us is to see Scripture, not just as a list of do's and don'ts, not Scripture as just a, a bunch of principles or stories that we can kind of from afar have a secondhand experience of, but actually through it, there is an invitation right here and right now to know that you have a God that loves you, who demonstrated his love to you in this, that while you were a sinner, while I was a sinner, while I was aiming for the wrong thing, while I was living for myself, Christ died for me. And Scripture says that Jesus didn't just go to the grave, take it upon the sins of humanity, but he defeated death. He rose forth from the tomb that we celebrate on Easter and every single Sunday. And he appears not just to them, but he longs to have an encounter with us today. You might remember when I preached about Thomas a bit ago in the sermon series. He said, blessed are you who believe who have seen me but blessed even more are those who believe that haven't seen me. Jesus says, don't look at these people in the first century as more blessed because they got a firsthand experience. He says, you are actually more blessed if you have an experience with me, even though you physically don't see me, because it is an act of faith that there is a relationship that can that can start, that can grow, that can change your life, even though you physically don't see 
your risen Lord with your physical eyes. It's going to require spiritual eyes of faith. So let's dive into this. They're talking about that account that they had, and now they have an experience. They have a firsthand account. They have a firsthand experience of the risen Lord. And in the gospel according to John, it says specifically that the doors to the room were locked. Perhaps they were living in fear that Jesus, who had just been arrested, who had just been crucified, they got out with their lives. There was fear that those authorities, the same ones, would come for them, arrest them, beat them, and crucify them. And their understanding of all the events led them to the conclusion that we have to huddle together, we have to hide, we have to lock the doors, and we have to figure out perhaps what are we going to do. The definition of the events in their life, how they are defining their present, was one that led them to anxiety, to fear, to worry. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And it doesn't say that he unlocked the door. It doesn't say that he opened the door. All of a sudden, he appears. So somehow, in Jesus' resurrected body, he is the ability. And I know this sounds crazy. This sounds, you know, like a, a science fiction or, or a Marvel comic. Somehow, he has the ability to pass through walls. And all the passages of Scripture speak to this moment as well that say that our resurrected bodies are going to be in Christ's resurrection. That we don't become resurrected like Jesus, but because Jesus was a resurrected, our faith and trust in him that we too, though we will die, we will rise to a newness of life in Christ. A lot of mystery in this, but our lives, our bodies will be both spiritual and physical. Now, this is key. It's not one or the other. It is both. And the fact that there is this spiritualness to Jesus' resurrected body speaks to something that we need to understand, that this physical body is just a part of who we are. This physical body that is wasting away, that, that begins to hurt, that begins to, you know, get a little tighter with old age, that uh, cuts begin to heal much slower in our old age, that uh, over time we begin to move slower and we lose the limberness to it. Some of us, we get racked with perhaps not just pain. Some of us, it's, it's sickness. Some of us, it's chronic pain. Some of us, it's disease. And it's this reminder that the resurrection of Christ says that this physical body isn't the fullness of who we are. I love how Dallas Willard says this, that uh, we are a soul that has a physical body, which is a very different perspective than we are a physical body with a soul. He goes on to say that our soul, in other words, the sum totality of who we are is perpetually in the presence of God. And our physical body our mind, our, our eyes, uh, what we see, what we experience is often limited in view. And in the fullness of time, we will be in God's presence, not just in a physical body, but in a spiritual one as well. One of the reasons why consistently 
people don't immediately recognize Jesus. You know, Mary didn't recognize Jesus at first. Uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize Jesus at first is because his resurrected body was more than just his physical body. He's spiritual. He shows up. Somehow he passes through walls. And the first thing that he says, according to Luke, is peace be with you. You see, Jesus has the ability. He knows their heart. He knows exactly what's going on in their life. He knows the fear. He knows the anxiety. He knows the worry. And the first thing he says is, peace be with you. I believe in that moment that Jesus was offering not just the idea of peace, he was offering the embodiment of peace. You see, Jesus is referred to as the Prince of Peace. He's also referred to as one who gives a peace that surpasses, that goes beyond all understanding. You know, as we go through life, we can look for peace. We can look for an absence of uh, discomfort, an absence of conflict. Uh, we can look for wholeness. And there are a lot of counterfeit ways, a lot of shadow ways in life that we can look for peace. We can just avoid situations. But ultimately, those situations, they catch up to us. We can try to uh, order our lives so that we are always in control, so we get a semblance of, an illusion of peace. But there are moments in our life where we reach the end of ourselves and we are out of control. Again, how I said in the beginning, it's all here in Jesus. We might get 1%, maybe we'll get 99.9%, .9%, but we won't get the fullness of peace outside of Jesus in the fullness of who Jesus is. And the first thing he says is, peace be with you. It goes on and it says that they were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. Another reminder that Jesus looked differently post-resurrection than he did before, he went to the cross. There was something about him that he looked like a ghost. He passed through the walls. I, I can't even imagine what this looks like. But it goes on. You see, Jesus isn't just spiritual. He is also physical. And this is such a key because, you know, as a kid growing up, I used to imagine what, uh, you know, heaven was going to be like. And for some reason, I thought, I don't know if I got this from Hallmark or I just made this up myself. You know, I, I thought that we were just going to be like uh, spirits up in the sky, maybe, maybe on a cloud playing a harp. And it was this kind of odd disembodied thought, this thought that we would just be floating in heaven. The opposite is actually true. And we see right here that Jesus doesn't just come up and show up as a spirit. He shows up as a physical being. It goes on and it says this. Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See it as I myself touch me and see for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He says, look at my hands, look at my feet. You know, another reminder of why I believe that this is historically true is why would you write it this way? Look at my hands, look at my feet. It's kind of an odd thing to say. If I was writing it, if I was to imagine what I wanted to communicate, I would say, uh, look at my eyes. If I was making this up, I wouldn't put us as the main characters, as the disciples, being terrified and frightened. I would write us into the story as having confidence and having joy that our Savior would return. No, 
They are terrified. They are frightened. They can't quite comprehend what is happening. And Jesus says, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Even more so, he says, touch me. You can't touch a ghost. But you can touch the resurrected Jesus. He is fully spirit and yet fully physical. But again, why not my eyes? Why not look at my face? Why my hands and my feet? Revelation says that Jesus is the wounded lamb. Somehow in Jesus' resurrected physical form, he had scars. And when Jesus is saying, look at my hands, And look at my feet. It is, look at my nail-scarred hands. Look at my nail-scarred feet. The prophet Isaiah says that he was wounded for our transgressions. By his stripes, we've been healed. You see, in that moment, Jesus redefined and he changed everything about their view of the present. He says, look at my hands. Look at the evidence of my love for you. We see throughout Scripture that Jesus didn't go to the cross as a victim. He went willingly. He gave his life. It wasn't taken. He went victorious out of love for you and me. He says, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Some preachers have said that in heaven, in the presence of God, in the new heavens and the new earth, the only scars that will be there are the scars that he bears. There is this picture in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 55 and following that talk about how we, through faith and trust in Jesus, will defeat death, in a sense, in Christ. Whereas Paul says, almost taunting death, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sin? We have the victory in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, and he says that this This mortal body will one day be clothed in immortality. This this perishable body will, will one day take on imperishability. You see, Jesus' redefinition of the present, of his resurrected body, changed their perspective, gave them a peace, but also changed their view, not just of him in that moment, but it changed their view of their future reality, that one day they would be resurrected in the newness of life, both as a spiritual and a physical being. He goes on, listen to this. I love this, one of my favorite parts in this whole section. I mean, all of it's my favorite, but then he goes on and he says this. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. In verse 41, while in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. He says to them, have you anything to eat? I love this. Jesus is hungry in his resurrected state. He says, do you have anything to eat? And they give him a piece of broiled fish. He takes it and he eats it in their presence and it doesn't fall through him like it would through a ghost, but he digests and he takes it in. And this is what's so remarkable, that Jesus in his resurrected body, yes, spiritual, yes, physical, walks, talks, embraces, eats. There is a future reality that Scripture says in the new heavens and the new earth that we're not going to be floating in the presence of the Lord. We're going to be dancing in the presence of the Lord. 
In all the brokenness that we've experienced in our physical body this side of eternity, we will not experience in the new heavens and the new earth. We will eat and not get bloated. We will drink and not make bad decisions afterwards or wreck our liver. We will dance and we will look good. In God's presence, there is this truth that the fullness of all that we've longed for as we move gracefully in God's presence for all of eternity, as we will work without toil, as we will be in relationship without bitterness or envy, as we eat and drink and dance, Jesus gives a picture of what that's like in this moment. And that encounter, it changed everything. But he doesn't just change the present, he also changes their view of the past. Take a look. In verse 44, he says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you. Last three years, I've been telling you this. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, must be fulfilled. That's a shorthand way of saying the entirety of the Old Testament, the entirety of the Hebrew Scriptures. All of it was written so that it must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah has suffered and arise from the dead on the third day. I'm going to go into greater detail in the sermon about uh, how Jesus encountered the disciples on the road to Emmaus and how that changed everything. And in that sermon, I'm going to go down deep how he says that everything in the Old Testament, everything in the Hebrew Scriptures is all about him. He's not just looking back to it and quoting it and fulfilling it having a knowledge of what happened in the past, what was written in the past. No, in actual fact that all of the Hebrew scriptures, everything was a sign, was a foreshadow that actually happened, but actually points to the greatest reality that is Jesus. All the sacrifices point to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. All the law points to how Jesus fulfilled it. He didn't come to abolish it. All the kings, all the leaders, all the shepherds, the men and the women who God rose up were just shadows of the perfect example and king and savior of Jesus Christ. And he redefines their whole past. And even the things that they thought were God abandoning them or God uh, not fulfilling God's promises, the events of the last three days, how Jesus was, he was murdered, he was crucified, he was beaten, he was arrested. Uh, he changes their definition of those past events. And he says, in light of all that God has promised, in light of all that God wants to accomplish, in all that God wants to do in the world, was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day? And then verse 47, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed. This is where he redefines their future in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. He's saying that I am about to call you into a future to be part of the work that I'm doing in the world. And it is a work to help people turn away from themselves to God. That's all that repentance is. It's simply a change of mind. It's simply a turn away from ourselves, away from other things. It's, just, it's, a, it's a turn to God, the one who loves us, who created us, who adores us, who designed life for us. To Jesus, who says in John 10, 10, I've come to give you life and life to the full. 
This is the ministry that I'm calling you into. Not just pastors, not just leaders, not just ordained people, not just seminary graduates. Every single follower of Jesus, when you have an encounter with the risen Lord, that's you, that's me, it's everybody. He says, I have a mission for you. I have a ministry for you to live a life, as it says here in a moment, to be a witness to me. The best witnesses are eyewitnesses. Any, uh, any uh, you know, trial, the type of witnesses that they call are people who have had a first-hand account of whatever uh, is being played out in the court. Not somebody who has heard about it secondhand. He says, I'm calling you to be my witnesses. And that's not just for them, it's for us today. When we have an encounter with the risen Lord, we become witnesses to who Jesus is. We simply get to share who Jesus is in our life, what God has done in our life, how we don't have it all together, that we make mistakes, that we're broken, yet God's grace and his love causes us to turn to him, and as it says, in repentance and forgiveness of sins. The ministry and the message that you are forgiven. It doesn't minimize what you've done. It says it was costly. It was so costly that it cost Jesus his life, but he did so out of love so that God looks at you in Christ and sees Christ's perfect record given to you, and you are now forgiven. And you need to proclaim this in his name. That's the key. That repentance and forgiveness of sins is always in the name of Jesus. This is not about uh, forgiveness and repentance in your own strength. It is all through and by and for Jesus. He enables us to turn. Scripture says that no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him to themselves. Jesus says that it is me who, who calls you by name, who invites you in. And in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things and see I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. He says, I'm about to send you out, but stay here. I'm about to equip you for that work. And as we read in the book of Acts, what Jesus equips them with isn't just a set of ideas. Uh, it's not just a group of principles. He doesn't give them a booklet. He gives them the Spirit of God. And Scripture says that that same Spirit that dwells in every believer, who through faith puts their faith and heart to Jesus, God gives them that Spirit, and that's the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. So it changes our present, it changes our past, it changes our future, and we find that in Jesus, it's all here. The love that we've ever longed for, a purpose for our life that we've tried to grasp for, to long for, a deep abiding embrace, a peace, a security of significance, it's all here in Jesus. It changed everything for them. And as we see in this, this little window into their life, I want you to know that that same God, that same Jesus, that same spirit longs to have a window into your life. And so wherever you are, no matter what you've gone through, would you just open up your heart? I want to pray for you. May a little longer than we normally do. Let me just pray for you in this moment. Jesus, I thank you for every single person that is listening, that is joining this service. You know their hearts. You know what they've gone through. You know the fullness of their lives. Perhaps they're not physically locked into a room out of fear of authorities coming to arrest them, but perhaps there's something else in their life that they 
have closed the world off to. Maybe it's something that they've done. Maybe it's something that they've never lived up to doing. Whatever that is, whatever is the the most locked down part of their heart and their mind, Jesus, would you show up in that place? And would you say to them, peace be with you? That perhaps the area of their life that they have hidden from you, that that's where you would show up and say, there's peace. That they would experience you, Jesus, as peace. That in that moment, you would say to them, look, look at my hands, look at my feet, and that they would see you with eyes of faith standing before them. That Jesus, you would say to them, touch and see that they through faith would feel you right now. That they would see you unlike any other person on the planet, fully God, fully human, fully spirit, fully physical, eating, inviting, embracing. May you in the moments ahead, the weeks ahead, the months ahead, the lifetime ahead, would you through the power of your spirit open up to them who you are throughout all the scriptures. May it change how they see Genesis all the way through Malachi, Matthew all the way through Revelation. And would you give them a heart for the life that you've called them into, to participate with you in your kingdom work here on earth as it is in heaven, that they would know that you've called them not only to yourself, but you've called them for a purpose and that you give them your spirit. May we live into this moment. May we experience you. May we encounter you in this moment in remarkable, mysterious ways, much like the early disciples who couldn't quite understand it yet were filled with joy. May we not quite fully understand how you were meeting us here and yet may it fill us with joy a joy that you are for us and not against us, that you come with peace and with love. It's in Jesus' name I pray and we sit together. Amen.